Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris. We are starting episode 87 today, and uh, this is kind of a sunrise podcast. We're getting started crack of dawn this morning here. we got a real busy day ahead of me. Uh, super excited. You get to go do an awesome presentation in front of a great group of people. So probably going to have a couple of sips of coffee during this uh, episode here. Just kind of uh, keep me going, if you may. I was up late last night putting everything together. But, you know, as we've had all the guests on the show talk about, like, commitment to the craft and commitment to what you're doing, you know, sometimes you got to make those sacrifices just to continue to push forward. Forward, even when you don't want to do it, it's all about the consistency, which is why I'm here so early this morning with my producer, Charlie, uh, to do an early podcast. Typically on these days, we would do these around like three o'clock and I called Charlie last night. I was like, Hey man, I need you at the studio. Like, crack of dawn. Um, and uh, he's super thrilled about it. But nonetheless, he's sitting here, uh, smiling on his face and uh, grinding and showing that commitment. So Charlie, appreciate you being here today. So, hey, we got some topics to talk about this morning. So in the financial world, there's a couple of things going on. And hey, I want to say big shout out to our friends at MBS Highway on this, uh, Barry and Dan Habib. You know, they are always bringing leading knowledge to the table. Uh, this is one of those instances where I think it was just, it was a great catch by them. And, and they are constantly doing this. But, you know, they're talking about this $800 billion in shorts on the 10-year treasury right now. And the reason this is important is because when you short an item, especially, you know, a stock or a treasury, you're you're shorting something that you don't own. So imagine imagine saying, hey, listen, I'm going to short something that I don't own, but I'm going to have to cover that position later on at, at a future date. And sometimes you do it to, to hedge your losses, and sometimes you do it to just stop the, the, the hemorrhaging. But the thought process is that the reason these shorts were placed on the 10-year treasury is that maybe they had reached a, a certain high and that they would start to come back down and that this would make money for the people that were shorting it. But now as we go into the Jackson Hole meeting that's coming up this Friday, there's some there's some concern, if you may. We're going to get, you know, some commentary from Powell that may kind of, you know, put some more fear in the market. Let's hope he doesn't mess this thing up, but it could put some more fear in the market. I mean, you know, if Powell comes to the podium and says, you know, we're still very much attentive to a 2% uh, target rate inflation. And we're going to do everything necessary to get that done, even if that means more than one rate hike between now and the end of the year. And we could see future rate hikes going into 2024. If he says something like that, if he alludes to something like that, that could that could cause some issues. So, you know, when, when the 10-year yields are moving higher, uh, the correspondent price moves lower. So think about this. You know, if, if, if you're an investor that wants to bet on the 10-year price moving lower and the yield moving higher, then you can go short or sell the 10-year treasuries on the derivative market without actually owning it. That's the whole concept of shorting, if you may. So there's 800 billion of those, which is up 20% right now, just in the last month. So there's a lot of people peaking interest on this, mainly hedge funds that are getting involved in this. And so when these investors that are selling this don't own those 10-year treasuries and they're shorting them, um, they have to buy those back at some point, eventually, they have to. And so if there's some sort of catalyst that that moves the prices higher, causing the yield to move lower, there could be a rush to close out these positions, and that's called a short squeeze. And that is actually what we're hoping happens in the market, because a good old short squeeze could be great for the 10-year treasury in the form of providing lower, lower opportunities for the mortgage-backed securities to get better, and also providing opportunities for mortgage interest rates to come down. This is a big win here. And so I, I think that it could cause, you know, the yield to go down if that squeeze happens, and that would be a big win. So we're going to pay attention to that. 
again, great great catch uh, by the group over there at MBS Highway. And, you know, as we kind of take a look at some other things that came in this week here, you know, you've heard me, I've been talking about credit card debt. How long have we been talking about credit card debt on this show? And now we're starting to see it get more attention nationally. This is something that we've been hounding on really for the last eight months. And now you're starting to see the national trend come out on this. Now, by no means am I saying, hey, because we said it, it's a national trend. It at some point was going to get caught. But this is something that Daniel and I have been harping on for quite some time. And we saw what was going on. We saw consumers debt financing their life. We saw people continuing to defer payments. We saw delinquencies going up. More importantly, we saw this national average getting closer to that trillion dollars in consumer debt, trillion dollars in consumer debt. And we are very close now to basically what could be its own disaster happening right in front of us on the consumer credit. We're well over a trillion dollars at this point. That's nothing new. But here is what is new on those things uh, regarding credit card debt. And we'll pull up some information here. I took some uh, notes, and I think this is important. But when we look at credit cards, the unpaid balances. Now, we already knew that 50% of that trillion dollars was unpaid. Now, we know that that's up 16% year over year. So this time last year, we had 34% balances being carried over. Now it's up to 50. Now we knew that number was high, but we didn't know the exact context of that. Now it's 16% year over year. We also know prior to eight months ago, we were documenting that the average credit card that a consumer, like we sent this out in multiple lending updates, the average household would carry a credit card. Each credit card would have at least $4,000 worth of consumer debt on it. We can effectively show today that that number is $8,000 per credit card. That's double. So you could see the consumers putting more on cards and debt financing that as well. And in the last 12 months, the balances have gone up $270 billion in the last 12 months. And that's what we've been tracking, you know, because that's way up over the average of the last 30 years. And so we've been tracking and showing that that number was going, this is why it was going to get to a trillion dollars. And these numbers are exactly what's showing up. We also talked about delinquencies two months ago. We were tracking the 30-day delinquencies and then the 90-day delinquencies. Those delinquencies are up 277 percent from 1.8 percent last year these are the highest delinquencies you know since q3 of 22 the reason this is important and the reason i point this out is because what's looming in the future in the next 60 days two trillion dollars worth of student loan debt payments we know those are coming online and we know those are going to be at an average price point per student loan at $353, you can see an issue looming right there. And you can see what, what's going to happen. Are we going to pay my student loan debt? We did a whole episode on what you need to do if you can't do that and how to get that rectified and how to be proactive. Or am I not going to pay my credit card debt? Or can I afford to even pay both? That is the question to be had there. And I think what I'm getting at is that the economy is not as strong as we're being led to believe. Some of the numbers that are coming out Definitely the data is lagging. There's no doubt about it. But the numbers that are coming out don't reflect some of the things that have happened over the course of the last 90 days. Not yet, at least. And we're starting to see those come forward. It's going to be very interesting how they show up because, you know, we've already seen a small business survey from CNBC that came out showing that lack of confidence. Now, granted, it's only 2,000 small businesses that were surveyed between the week of August 7th and 14th, but that's pretty real time. I mean, that was, what, a couple of weeks ago? The overall confidence was at 42 out of 100. Like, that's an all-time low. That, that well, excuse me, let me, it ties the all-time record low. 42. Not good, right? And 75% of those expect the headcount in their organization to remain the same or decline. So stable or decline. That also 
kind of is not lending some great, you know, warm and fuzzy feelings. And only 38% say that conditions are good for now, but that's down from 40% the previous month before. So those are things kind of showing us like in this, in this realm, right, that this economy is not as thriving as some of these metrics that are coming out or as the news wants us to be. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. There is a sector that is thriving, and that is that's existing home sales. Like you can't argue with the fact that rates are as high as they are. And I mean, and let's face it, they're not great. They're not they're not fantastic at all. As high as they are, homes are still selling. Matter of fact, price points are also going up. And if you look at Zillow, they just recently revised their 2023 projection from a 5.5 appreciation rate to a 5.8 appreciation rate. How can that happen when rates are this high? That's because the demand that we continue to talk about, those 90s babies, the people that are on the sidelines that have been wanting to buy are still buying in this market regardless of the rate. They're stepping up. And, for, and to prove and point that, first-time home buyers' ownership purchase is up from 27 to 30%. That's that group. That's that. That's the '90s babies that we're referring to. They're the ones that are actually going in there and saying, "You know what? The rates are what they are. I'm going to buy the home now. I'll go ahead and get in. I'll beat the rush before it happens, and then I can always refinance later." So, a great job. Kudos to, to people that are taking advantage of that and doing it. I know it's not ideal. No one wants the rate they're getting now, but they understand that there are good things, brighter things to come, and they can take advantage of lower rates in due time. You know, great, fantastic job on that for those that are taking advantage of it. And then finally. Going to talk a little bit about um, the, the jobs report. I don't know how many times have I harped on this jobs report. I'm just, it's it's mind boggling and frustrating. I sat here with Daniel the other day, and you know, in our lending update, and we talked about, you know, what which report do you believe? The ADP report, which seems to come in with all these numbers, way way over expectations, right? Market reacts, and then two days later or a day later, you get the BLS report, and that's the non. The non-private, uh, excuse me, the non-private or non-private non-farm payrolls, and then it comes out, and it's either right at expectation or a little bit above, but nothing like earth-shattering there. At least it's in line, whereas ADP is way out of line. But then we get this curveball thrown at us yesterday on this benchmark that comes in revision. You may benchmark revision that happens, and inside this revision, they said from April of 22 to March of 2023, they overestimated jobs by 300,000 jobs. 300,000 jobs. Oh, oh, it was like, oops, we missed that. That's that's over 25,000 jobs per month, overestimated. Do you think that would have made a difference in maybe even the Federal Reserve's approach, maybe the stock market's approach, maybe the bond market? Interest rates, would that have made a difference if that real-time data would have come out like that? Yeah, you absolutely better believe it, but that's a thing of the past now. So these numbers come out and it was like, well, we messed up. But it, it, you're not getting any benefit of them saying we messed up, you know, because- 
it's, it's not even temporary. And so what, what happens there that, that kind of is uh, frustrating, if you may, is that we've been saying over and over again, and we're not the only ones, that these reports aren't adding up to what's going on out there on the streets. And you kind of see it with this, and it's because it's an outdated metric of how they come up with it. And you can argue, it, you know, at least it's consistently outdated, but it's outdated nonetheless. And the reality is what we've been saying the job reports don't feel to be accurate are starting to show up in the revisions. And we're seeing it over and over again, not only in the BLS, but the ADP the previous month had a massive revision month over month to the downward side. And so we're starting to see that show up. I just hope that the data-driven you know, Federal Reserve starts to look at this stuff as well and say, well, maybe, maybe we are seeing the impact in the job market that we thought we weren't seeing. Maybe it is. We're just getting the wrong metrics. Who knows? But let's hope this Jackson Hole meeting on Friday, that's tomorrow, let's hope that when Powell speaks... You know, and, and what happens in the Jackson Hole meeting is this is where all central bankers go to. And, and traditionally speaking, this has been a platform where Powell and, and, and any FOMC president has used this as an opportunity to talk about a change in monetary policy. Now, it's not a given that that's what they're going to do, but if they're going to roll something out, they typically do it at Jackson Hole meeting. And so in the past, we've seen, you know, talks of, of, of easing, talks of tightening, talks of rate reductions, you know, talks of rate hikes. So it'll, all eyes will be on Friday. And honestly, you know, Powell could, could really mess this whole thing up. You know, his commentary does carry a tremendous amount of weight in all the markets. And if he says something that comes out to be, you know, non-favorable to the market, is insinuating there'll be more more hikes, that, that could that could really do some damage to the markets here on both sides, equities and in the mortgage market. And if he hints towards any type of relief, all bets are off. That's going to be a big win for all the markets as well. So we'll sit back, we'll wait, we'll watch. And uh, I'm sure you guys will be too. And, you know, and if you're watching this, please check out our YouTube channel, go and subscribe. We're going to have some of that data that I just spoke about in there that you can check out. Uh, love the comments you guys are leaving on there. And I mean, it's really, really awesome to see the interaction between the audience and us on the social media side of things. Really appreciate it. Where we could use your help right now. If you would go to Apple, five-star review this podcast. Just leave a comment like, hey, great episode. Or hey, Quentin had too much coffee before that episode. It was talking way too fast. Something we, we would love to hear. It. Same thing on Spotify. Spotify has really become like this new YouTube channel in its own right, where they have the video mixed in with the audio questions, surveys. It's fantastic. If you could though, give us some five-star reviews on that. Share it with a friend or a family member. We greatly appreciate it. And continue to check us on our socials where we're putting unreleased information from the podcast on there at What's Your One More on all socials at What's Your One More with the number one. Till next time, guys, I hope to be in the studio in the afternoon, not in the bright hours of the morning. And we'll be back with you guys next week on a new episode. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. And when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah